This episode is sponsored by the Learn Jazz Standards Inner Circle. If your goal is to level up your jazz playing this year and feel confident improvising over jazz standards, the Inner Circle has everything you need and more. With monthly jazz standard studies, a library of powerful courses, and a vibrant community of like-minded musicians, you're guaranteed to improve your playing every single month. Podcast listeners can get 50% off their first month when you go to ljsinnercircle.com. That's ljsinnercircle.com or find the link in the show notes. Now, on to today's episode. One thing that attracts a lot of musicians to jazz is the fact that the possibilities are endless. Like when it comes to improvisation, really there are so many different avenues to explore, so many different things you can play. And after listening to some of the greatest jazz musicians in the world, you realize that there's a massive amount of vocabulary out there that you can express. The rules are there, but really the rules are meant to be broken. The problem with jazz, though, is that there are too many possibilities, and therefore it can be difficult for you to figure out what to actually play or how to actually improve. So today on the podcast, I'm going to be talking about something called restrictive practicing and how this can actually help you improve faster and create more meaningful melodic solos. Let's do this thing. Welcome to the LJS Podcast, where you get weekly jazz tips, interviews, stories, and advice for becoming a better jazz musician. And now your host, he's a jazz musician, author, and entrepreneur, Brent Bartstra. What's up, everybody? Brent here from Learn Jazz Standards, where we help musicians just like you learn how to play jazz while shortening the learning curve no matter what instrument you play. Welcome, my friends to another episode of the podcast. I am absolutely stoked to have you here. By the way, if you've been listening to the podcast for a while now, uh, make sure that you're subscribed to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. So if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, hit that plus button uh, and make sure you're subscribed or Spotify, make sure you're subscribed. Wherever you listen, make sure you subscribe because I don't want you to miss out on any of the episodes that I come out with because you never know when... It's the episode that you absolutely need to take your playing to the next level. That's what I always try to do every single week on this podcast. Of course, if you're, if this is your very first time listening to the show, thank you for being here. Today is a good episode for you because today's episode is all about how do we become better jazz improvisers. And I talk about that a lot on this show, obviously, but today we're talking about what I call restrictive practicing, right? Restrictive practicing. Because again... There's a lot of things that we can play when it comes to improvisation. And the the problem with that, though, is that we can get stuck in paralysis, paralysis of what do we actually play, paralysis when we're practicing of what should I actually be practicing, um, paralysis just of so many choices that you end up playing melodies in your solos that aren't actually that meaningful. Uh, have you ever heard of this study before? This, this was a study that was done, um, and I'm not, I, I can't give you the exact uh, who did the study. I don't remember that off the top of my head, but I'll give you the gist of what the study was. And this had more to do with marketing and sales, but I think it will apply to today's conversation. And the study essentially wanted to find out is giving customers more options better than giving them less options. In other words, will we sell more products if we give them more options or fewer options? So one day at, I believe is at a supermarket or grocery store, they put out a stand that featured 20 different jellies or jams, marmalades, whatever you like to call them, wherever part of the world you're in. 
and they noted how many on that day were sold. Now, the next day, they put out the same stand in the same grocery store, the same supermarket, but only three choices of jams, okay? And what they found was the fewer choices that customers had, the more they sold. So they sold a lot more product on the day that they only presented three choices versus the 20 plus some odd choices, okay? So in other words, the analysis paralysis of customers when they're giving too many options prohibits them from purchasing a product, right? From from the from the per, the one who wants to make the sale from making the sale. So this really honestly the the concept sort of applies to what we're talking about with jazz improvisation. If we have too many choices, too many different scales we could play, too many different um, improv tactics that we can use, then we're trying to throw all of it together, right? Rhythm. I mean, there's so many different aspects of music and improvisation that we could con- consider when taking a solo. So restrictive practicing is limiting the choices that you have and the tools that you have available to you when you go out and practice. Okay, so restrictive practicing limits what you can play when you practice. So today, we're going to be using the example of a B-flat blues, right? B-flat 7. E-flat 7 is the 4 chord. Back to the 1 chord, B-flat 7. Back to the 4 chord, E-flat 7. Then we do the sharp 4 diminished. Okay. Then we do the B-flat 7 again, the 1 chord, 6. The 2 chord, five chord and back to the one chord and then usually some kind of turn around back to the top again right that is a b flat blues so all those chord changes i just listed out again there's a million different things i could play maybe i've studied solos maybe i've studied music theory maybe i've been wondering about what rhythms i can play right so what i would suggest we do is kind of break things down into different possibilities so now that you understand the concept of restrictive practicing i'm just going to give you some examples of what you could do right so the first one that i want to suggest when we're talking about restrictive practicing is restricting the notes that you can actually play okay restricting what notes you can play over top of any given chord So one really good example would be you're only allowed to play the chord tones of each chord, right? So if I'm talking about the chord tones over a B-flat blues, I'm talking about the root, the third, the fifth, and the seventh of each chord, right? So that's over the B-flat seven. That's over the E-flat seven. Um, We had the sixth chord, right? Uh, Oh, we also had the sharp four diminished. Right? Only the chord tones. So that's four notes per chord. Two chord. Five chord. Right? Back to the one chord. So I can only use those notes, right? I played them in a linear progression. Right? But however, again, when we're creating melodies, like that's what improvisation is, we're creating melodies on the fly. It doesn't mean that I have to play those notes in order. It just means I can only use those notes per chord. Okay, so we're really narrowing down the options first of what notes we can actually play. So let's go ahead and give this a shot. I'm going to go ahead and with a backing track on, improvise over this B-flat blues only using the chord tones and see what we come up with. 
Okay, okay, okay. So that was just playing the chord tones over top of that B flat blues. So why would I want to choose the chord tones to isolate there? So number one, the chord tones are the most structural element of the changes that we're trying to play. And when we really listen to the best jazz musicians in the world, what they're really able to do is outline the chord changes so convincingly, yet in such a melodic way, using their own expressions and their own terms. So being able to play the chord changes, know where all the notes are on your instrument, um, know how to create melodies with just them is a great idea to spend some time doing. So again, this is restrictive practicing. So is this necessarily what I would want to sound like ultimately in my solos? No, right? It's not. We don't want to only play the chord tones. And again, in this particular case, I wasn't even adding approach notes into the chord tones. I was just playing the chord tones. Ultimately, when you listen to great jazz musicians, they're really using a lot of approach tones into chord tones to make great solos. However, this limited my options quite a bit, and spending time doing this is a bit of a challenge, and it really will help solidify those chord changes. Now, let's do another uh, restrictive practicing regarding the notes that we can play, right? So let's actually break it down even more, like let's restrict it even more to just the thirds and the sevenths of the chord. And we call these guide tones uh, in jazz. Guide tones, the reason we call them guide tones is because the thirds and the sevenths are kind of the most important chord tones of each chord. And the reason that is, is because that's kind of the difference, right? The third and the seventh is making a difference between a major seventh and a dominant seventh. And the third and the seventh are the difference between the dominant seventh and the minor seventh. Um, half diminished, it's a little different. The flat five is the only difference. But then when we get to the, fu the fully diminished seventh chord, once again, the, the seventh in this particular case is the difference. So resolving two guide tones, resolving meaning you're playing a melody, but sort of landing at the end on a guide tone is a great idea, especially the third is a popular one as far as textbook spelling out chord changes. Again, do we always want to do this? No, but let's go ahead and jam on this B flat blues again. And I'm not only going to play the guide tones, but I'm going to make the music that I'm playing all about the guide tones. So as few notes as possible as I can do to create something melodic using just guide tones. Make sense? So let's go ahead and try it. Okay, so that was just playing the guide tones. So again, not not super interesting solo there, right? But that's kind of besides the point, right? The the point really of of just isolating the guide tones, restrictive practicing here, is trying to get comfortable with where those notes actually are on my instrument and what they actually sound like to my ear. Because ultimately, when we're improvising, we want to be able to hear and feel what those notes are like so that we can resolve to them better, right? So that's that's an example of, of, of focusing only on notes. Okay, so the next thing that we could do is we could say, 
Um, all right, let's expand things a little bit more and let's make it five notes. Let's say, let's say the only thing we can play is the B flat minor pentatonic scale. Um, or let's let's include the blues scale as well. So adding the sharp four in there too. So that's all we can play over top of this. So let's go ahead and give that a shot as well. Okay, so that was just the minor pentatonic scale and the blue scale. So obviously, once again, like I don't necessarily feel like I would want a solo like that ultimately, right? Just playing the minor pentatonic scale, it's missing the chord changes. Um, it's missing a lot of elements that great jazz musicians are doing. However, you know, something might come up for you where you're like, hey, I know how to play the minor pentatonic scale and the blues scale. In fact, that's a lot of the default for a lot of people when they're trying to play the blues or, or to play jazz. Like that's kind of where a lot of people start. However, oftentimes it can sound kind of like you're just playing a scale, right? So how do you play more melodically that minor pentatonic scale, that blues scale? How can you make better bluesy lines? Well, this is a great opportunity to say, I'm just going to focus on that. Like, how do I create better melodies just using the minor pentatonic scale? Okay, so that's restricting the notes that you can use. And there's more examples of that for sure. But we'll leave it at that as a few that you can think about. So chord tones, guide tones, and then even scales, right? So the next kind of restrictive practice I want to talk about has to do with rhythmic restrictions. So restricting yourself to certain rhythmic subdivisions or even certain rhythmic ideas, okay? So rhythm is a big one because it tends to be a lot of the melodic and harmonic instruments that play jazz. It tends to be their weak point, right? Now, this could manifest itself in poor time, poor time feel, which automatically makes you sound amateur. Like if you can play all the perfect notes, all the right notes, all the great jazz language, but have poor time feel, poor rhythm, you really just end up sounding amateur, right? So that's one reason to focus on rhythmic restriction, right? Um, but additionally, it could be things like your phrasing needs to get improved. Um, it could be that you don't feel like you have a great rhythmic vocabulary in the first place, right? Or you could feel like, you don't have great theme to your rhythm, right? It's kind of just whatever it happens to be, how it happens to show up. But ultimately, to be a great improviser, you need to have a good combination of great actual melodic ideas, but rhythmic ideas as well, right? So one, well, let's start going over some examples of rhythmic restriction. So one thing that I see a lot in my inner circle members when members are posting recordings of their playing in our community and one thing that I hear all the time, and I always comment on their posts and say this, is, 
hey, I'm not hearing longer flowing eighth note lines. Because one satisfying thing to hear, especially after you've been playing some more broken up, shorter phrases in your solos, is every once in a while, and sometimes even frequently, depending on the way you want to play, it's great to have longer flowing eighth note lines. Like It's a very satisfying feeling to hear that, and sometimes I don't always hear that, and so that's a common critique I give. So I don't, of course, just critique. I, I give a solution, and one solution I give is to literally practice exaggerating this like only play eighth notes over the entire form so you can't use quarter notes you can't use half notes you can't use anything else you have to just use eighth notes so this is obviously kind of challenging to do but what it's going to do is kind of force you to play those longer flowing eighth note lines to feel what it feels like to play continuously like that. And also it's going to help you really lock in your eighth notes and your swing feel if you're happening to play swing. So let's go ahead and give that a shot now and see what it's like to play just eighth notes over top of the B flat blues form. Okay, so that's just playing eighth notes over top of the form, okay? So again, that's not exactly how I would want to actually solo, but my focus is that continuous eighth note line progression so that hopefully the more I practice doing that, the more I'm going to naturally start playing those longer eighth note lines. And of course, if you struggle to play the changes using eighth notes, it's an opportunity to practice actually doing that. So maybe starting with restricting yourself to just the chord tones is going to be helpful so that then you can later connect them together the way I just did using eighth notes, right? So that restrictive practicing is really helpful there. Now we could do this with other subdivisions, right? So only quarter notes, um, only half notes. Uh, it could be only triplets. If you really slow down the tempo, maybe only 16th notes. I mean, triplets would actually be pretty hard. However, um, in bebop, like we do add a lot of triplet ornaments to our eighth note lines, right? So that's something Charlie Parker does a lot. So that could be a helpful thing to practice your triplets. So that's restrictive practicing using subdivisions. Um, now, the next thing that we can do with rhythm is specific actual rhythmic motifs, right? So let's just say our rhythmic motif is da, 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 da. So one, two, end, one, two, end, right? So that's what we're playing. That's the rhythmic motif that we're actually playing. So it's pretty simple, but this is a pretty common uh, jazz rhythm, you know, da, 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 da on the end of two there. Um, and of course, lots of other stuff where we're using syncopation in jazz. But let's just say we want to practice that. It's a pretty simple idea, but let's just do that over top of the entire form. And we can add whatever notes that we want, but we have to stick to that rhythmic motif. Okay, so let's give it a shot. 
so that was me just getting used to that syncopated rhythm. Now, again, you can start choosing a bunch of other different syncopated rhythms. Is this how I would want to improvise? No, of course not. But again, the point in restrictive practicing is narrowing down our choices so that we can hone in and internalize different ideas a little bit better. Okay. So that is restrictive practicing using rhythm and subdivisions. So the last kind of restrictive practicing I want to talk about is restricting melodic ideas. Okay. Melodic ideas. So what I mean by that is if we have a melodic idea like this, so it's actually the first bit of the melody of the jazz standard or the jazz blues sandu. So Right, but that's a melodic idea. Now, if I want to really get that idea more internalized, but also use what's called motivic development, which is where we're taking an idea and translating it, for example, over the four chord, It's called theme and variation. In this particular case, we're going to be as much as possible to the original melodic idea. And when I'm thinking about that, I'm thinking about trying to, as best as possible, given what the chord changes are, stick with what the intervolic format is, right? So going up to a minor third, to the major third, right? So to the fifth. I'm trying to keep that intervolic formula at least close over top of the entire form. So why would I want to practice this? When we listen to the best jazz musicians out there, they're often building their solos, right? They're not just playing a bunch of random one-off ideas or streams of notes that kind of lead to random different directions. A lot of times you are hearing the act of an idea being repeated again and being built upon over and over and over again, right? You hear this a lot, and if you if you haven't paid attention to that, I'd encourage you next time you listen to a jazz record to see if you can hear that theme and variation, that motific development happening. So using this one, let's go ahead and see if I can replicate that idea as much as possible over top of the form. Okay, so that was that motific idea over top of the form, right? So again, super helpful because it really forced me to not only transpose that idea, but think of how I needed to manipulate it in different circumstances. Um, but even the essence of the idea, right? So even if the intervolic formula wasn't always precise, it was close to the essence of that, right? Which is essentially what is really happening in improvisation. It's not exactly like that, right? It's not exactly like, hey, let's just keep repeating this idea over and over again. It's it's usually developed, right? So we call it motific development, right? And then theme and variation as well. However, again, restricting ourselves to that is forcing our brains to work in a certain way that will hopefully benefit us when we actually get to the the free improvisation where we're really playing whatever we want to. So you could expand this as much as you want. You could include the rhythmic portion 
that we talked about before and the melodic portion, which we just talked about now. And there is truly as many variations of this as as you want, right? So these are the three main ways I think you can practice restrictive practicing. So again, that would be restricting your note choices. And we talked about some examples for those. Restricting your rhythmic choices, which talked about some examples there, and restricting your melodic choices. So what I would encourage you to do is think about which one of those do you want to focus in on this week? Which form of restrictive practicing do you think would help you? And commit to actually doing that on top of a tune that you're working on right now. All right, that's all for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. Do appreciate it. Hope you found this valuable today. Hope you take action. And if you need help taking action on improving your jazz playing, on staying motivated, on staying consistent, on having the right tools and resources available to you at all times, then definitely consider checking out our LJS Inner Circle membership. You can go to ljsinnercircle.com, ljsinnercircle.com is where you can learn more about that and uh, join uh, over a thousand plus musicians playing all sorts of instruments that are learning and growing together in there, right? So check it out. Of course, we're gonna be coming out with another great episode of the podcast soon. So be sure that you're subscribed wherever you listen to podcasts. Do appreciate that and would love to continue serving you. Until then, happy practicing and cheers. Thanks for listening to the LJS Podcast, brought to you by LearnJazzStandards.com. Subscribe to the series on iTunes, and don't forget to join our jazz community at LearnJazzStandards.com forward slash newsletter. Hey, podcast listener, would you like to ask me a jazz question and get it answered here on the show? Then go to learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask. That's learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask. I look forward to hearing your question and answering it on a future podcast episode. Learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask or find the link in today's show notes.